This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Great stuff. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. We pray especially for those who are writing tests this week. Lots of them can't be here tonight, but we pray a blessing. We pray your peace over them. Pray your peace over those who are here. We thank you that we've come to a building, but that means nothing. We've come, Lord, to a spiritual building. Living stones being built up before you. So come and build your church, Jesus, tonight through your word, through your presence that is here. And we want to just bless you for your faithfulness and your goodness. We pray, especially in this time, for our nation and the nations of the world, Lord, that truly people will turn to you. What an opportunity for a fearless church to arise. And we want to be part of that church, even when the world is full of fear. We want to thank you that you've not given us a spirit of fear, but that of love and of power and of a sound mind. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Great. Turn to your neighbor and say, I like that smile on your face. Okay, our theme for the year, lots of you know what the theme is, is to make and become obedient disciples that are rooted in Christ. Tonight I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures, and I want you to go and read it at home or over the holidays, study those scriptures. We're going to talk about a very simple thing, and this, especially if you've been joining the morning services, we've been going through six or eight weeks on understanding the love of God. And um, tonight's part is a continuation of this morning, to be known and to be loved by God. To be known and to be loved by God. We many times talk about you need to know God, but tonight we're going to talk about the fact that God knows you and that God loves you and me. And this may be a bit of a different angle, but let's go for Ephesians 3 verse 14. We've read the scripture many times this year. For this reason, this is Paul writing, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We are called a family, and there's a name. God has named all of us, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. He prays a prayer, he says, I want you to be strong in the spirit. I want the inner man, the spirit man of yours, that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith, so in your hearts, that your hearts will be full of faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, it passes human knowledge. You cannot figure God's love out with your head. You cannot. It's impossible. Because God's love passes knowledge. Thank you for that, Amen. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, that is to God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ to all generations forever and ever. What a mouthful. It is a prayer, a sort of a blessing that Paul speaks out, a, a prayer and a pronunciation over the church. And he says that you may be full of faith in your heart, but that you may be grounded in love. We're not grounded in faith, we're grounded in love. We're rooted in God's love, but our hearts is full of faith, and that we can comprehend what is, what is, how big is this thing that how God feels about us and about the world. It's actually amazing. 
But don't try to figure it out with your head. If you're going to like, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, it's, it's not going to work like that. Because most of the time we measure God's love by prosperity or breakthrough or emotional stability in our lives. But I love what John Piper says. He says, if you have to measure the life of Paul and the breakthroughs in his life and you say God loves him or not, then God actually hated Paul because most of the time he was in prison. Ooh. The modern day gospel says, hey, just like God is actually here for you and he's here for me, but he's, he's not. God is primarily concerned for his own glory and about his own glory. Man is not the center of God's glory. You are not the center of God's attraction. God is mainly concerned for his glory in the earth. Is he selfish? No, that's why he's God. <laughs> Nothing can change him. The more you worship, it will not change God. The more you worship, it will change you. Because you align yourself with his love. You align yourself with his glory. You align yourself with his heart. So a couple of scriptures that you can jot down. I shared this this morning. God made us, Psalm 139. He says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The ladies, they love this. They love this scripture. It's just like, you can almost say it in a poem fashion, you know. The guys think like, oh, this is a bit too romantic. But just like, listen to what, what he writes here. He says, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. My frame was hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet were there none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. This is where all the ladies must go like, oh, yeah, I feel. <laughs> That's amazing. But listen to this. He says, oh. You, Lord, how amazing are your thoughts towards me and towards us. Isn't that crazy? God cannot think evil. I always thought he's this old man with a stick up there and he's just like sin conscious. But God isn't sin conscious. The only reason why God deals with sin is because sin separates us from God, from knowing who he really is. So God made us. The second one is God chose us in Jesus Ephesians talks about this in the first couple of chapters, the first three chapters. If you just underline the word in Jesus, in Christ, you'll be amazed because it's about who and that position God has chosen us to. There's a slight deception when some people say, hey. These bikes blew over. What does that mean? Huh? But show us a picture of the bikes, because are we going to know the bikes if we don't know the bikes? Oh, if you have a motorbike here, your motorbike blew over. If you want a motorbike, go with. Oh, three motorbikes blew over. Oh, there it is. Okay, cool. Sure. So what should they go and Pick up the motorbikes. Okay, that's that's probably what this. Okay, so God chose us in Christ so that we don't blow over by the world and the wind of the world. Okay, so so He says He made us. He chose us. Ephesians one verse three to six. He says to be Christians, to be accepted in the beloved. Listen to this in verse six of 
Ephesians 1 verse 6, to the praise of his glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Say, I'm accepted in the beloved. Sure. Crazy that God would choose people like you and me. Crazy that he would, I think you've put that up enough now, so let's just take that off. It's a bit of a distraction. The third thing, God loves us and has a plan for us. God always has a plan. The only challenge is sometimes we say like, hey, God has got a personal plan for me and God work out my plan. If you don't understand God's love, you will try to manipulate God and control God and God cannot be controlled. So this scripture, sometimes we read it, Jeremiah 31. Yes, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 29 says, I've got thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your hearts. I've got plans for you, God says. Just be careful. Don't just say that quickly over somebody because the plans or the thought in the scripture was just before they went into slavery for 70 years. So the nation was going to go into slavery and God says, I've got plans for you. My thoughts are not evil towards you. I've, uh, I want you to know who I am. But it's not a, the typical breakthrough scripture that we want. Oh, he loves me so much. You know, he's got so much plans for me. In the midst of great trials and tribulation, he's still got plans for you. Don't just get scriptures and not know the context. So what, what fruit does that produce? And there are seven things that I'm going to mention tonight, but we're only going to look at three or four. So we looked at some of them this morning. I'm going to start with the one we looked at this, this morning as well. But what, what does it happen when you and I understand and we begin to live in this space where we, the world out there has gone crazy, but we understand God loves us. Then suddenly you realize that it's not about your performance. It's not becoming a better Christian. It's not about you praying more because God's love doesn't change. I, I came to the awareness that, you know, a couple of years ago when, when the Lord said to me, the more you pray doesn't mean I'm going to love you more tomorrow if you pray more. Because God's love is unconditional. God's love has got no strings attached. And we don't know that in the world because we say, like, if you do this, then I will do that. If you go there, then I would, we always have strings attached. We have conditions to our love. And that's why God is the only one that can really, where you can really understand your identity. Because people can't do that for you. People's love is always friendship love, but it's always conditional. There's always some strings attached, but God's is not. But there are seven things, and you can look at these scriptures at home. Take a photo if you want to, because we, we don't have time tonight to go into all of them. But there's, some, there's a reaction, a response to God's love. And this is what the real love of God will produce in your life. Not just, am I in? I just see lots of cameras. But in any case, so this is what it will produce. There's, there's something that will begin to happen when you surrender to that love. When you begin to open up to the love of God. But again, it's not, a, it's not a knowledge here. It's not just something we try to figure out. It happens when you and I begin to stand before him and say, Wow, sure, Lord, I'm struggling because maybe my past, maybe my life, maybe my circumstances is saying something different today. Maybe the world has gone crazy. 
Because so many people are in fear today. So many people are responding negatively. So many people are like, what if, what if, what if? And it's amazing where the Christians are standing up and saying, look here, we're not afraid. We're not afraid. And so the first thing we're going to focus on, it creates a deep hunger to know God. And so Paul writes this, and thank you for that yawn on my right-hand side. I won't look to you. I saw two yawns on that side. I've only started. Hallelujah. And there was one yawn on that side. I saw that. Okay, strike one. Next time you're out. No, I'm joking. Okay, so the most amazing thing is when, when you understand the depths and, and, and you begin to understand it, it's going to create a desire in you not to know in knowledge more, but to live with a hunger, with a humility. And this is what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3. It's amazing scripture. He, he begins to say this and he says, But what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness. It's not through my works, it's not because I'm trying to do that. But he says, that which is brought through, through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. If you know that God knows everything about you, and actually God knows you better than what you know yourself, won't you surrender to him and say, Lord, well, obviously, to get to know who I am, I must first get to know who you are. And this is what Paul writes. He says that I might know you. But it's not a knowledge. The word there is not a knowledge. The word there is the word yada. And we're all adults here. The word yada comes and gets comes into Genesis and to, into the Old Testament. The first words for yada is the word sexual intercourse. Same word that Paul uses here. It's an intimacy in relationship. It's an intimacy like a husband and a wife comes together. That is the intimacy that he wants with God. He says, God, I want to know you in that way. I don't want to know you. Yeah, I don't want to know you because of the experiences. I don't know. When you it's not just an emotional thing. It's a deep knowing. It's a deep becoming into that place where, Lord, you know, where I surrender because, wow, this is who you are. And it, it, it takes a great vulnerability. It takes a great openness and a response to God. And this is what Paul says, all these things that I've done, all the things I've seen, I've counted it as rubbish to know him. And the question tonight is, have you grown in your hunger for God? I see a lot of older Christians. Yeah, yeah, you know, when I was first here, I was so excited. I was so hungry for God. But now I've become reserved and dignified. Now I've arrived because now I know, yeah? And I think like, whoa. Spiritual pride is the most ugly thing because you think you've arrived and you think you know God. But just sometimes hang around with people that has known and walked the road with God for 50 years. And they will all tell you the same thing. They'll say, sure. The more I get to know God, the more I know how little I know Him. <laughs> because that God measures the universe in the palm of His hands. He's too big for your brain. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's too big for your brain. Sure, some of you enjoyed that too much. 
Okay, some of you were like pointing a finger of accusation is too big for your brain. Yeah. <laughs> but he is. That's why you can't figure God out just in the natural or just with your intellect. You need the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul says, I've got a deep hunger to know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to the image of his death. I want to be conformed to the image of Christ. The second thing that happens once we begin to know the love of God, you know what happens is we, we begin to serve. And this is what Jesus said in John 15. He says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I've made known to you. Listen to this. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Don't for one moment in your life as a Christian think that that you have chosen God. Oh, I, I found Jesus. Sorry, he was never lost. We sing it and we know what we mean by sing it, but Jesus was never lost. I was lost. Donkey, pick me, pick me. <laughs> chose, he chose, his choice. So if you're a true Christian, there will be great humility because you realize like he's, he's, I have the grace that he's chosen me and he's chosen other people. And what begins to happen now, my whole life's mission is to serve. Faithful servant, well done, faithful servant. But if I work for somebody and I serve them, or if I serve at a restaurant, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to be very hypocritical maybe. I'm going to give you the best food, the best smile, but you know what? I'm going to serve you always with hidden agendas because I want a bigger tip from you if I serve you at the restaurant. You know, I, I had a friend, don't, I'm not going to mention the restaurant's name, but they used to have these difficult customers. So be careful. Be careful to moan at the restaurant because I'm going to tell you a story. Do you want to hear the story? Okay, yeah. So they were a group of together, and there was this one uncle that was always difficult. He always moaned. His meat was never right. It was never well prepared or whatever. He always had a problem. And then what would happen is he would send his stuff back to the kitchen. And then in the kitchen, he would always make a massive fuss. He would come there once every two weeks or once every week. And then what they would do is there was this place where the oil, oily stuff they threw it away into the oily stuff, you know, all the nonsense food and all the oil would go, go back into this little place, you know. And then they would take his patty or his meat, and before they would heat up it up again, all the waiters would come and stand around that meat because now it's in the kitchen. This guy is sitting there, and he's, he's thinking he got the victory, you know. He's got like, yeah, he's in charge, you know. They'll take the meat, they'll throw it into that place, then they will rub it into the oil, and then they'll go and heat it up again. And then the waiter would come out. Hope your meat is ready. And all the other waiters would say, <laughs> if he only knew what we did with his meat. And that guy would sit there, and he thinks he's won the thing. Uh-uh. But see, if you're a servant because it's just a duty, it's always just for the tip. It's always just for the salary. 
It's always just to stay in heaven and not to go to hell. But if you serve your best friend, you serve differently. You work differently. Because if I then serve you, I want your interest, your best interest. I've got that at heart. Jesus says, I've not called you servants. I've called you friends. And so we have a lot of people in this church that serves. It's just amazing. These things don't just happen. These things don't just get you. And I someone want to honor them. If you are on some other worship or welcoming team or a small group leader, and you're serving regularly in one of those positions or sound team here at church or children's church, I want you to quickly stand. Just stand. We want to just honor the servant-orientated people. Let's give them a round of applause. Maybe you're an usher or a coffee duty person. No, no, no. Remain standing. Remain standing, okay? You're going to, you're going to, they normally the first people just, <laughs> yeah. But we want to honor you. There's 100 people in the worship team. There's, there's so many people that serve. Six o'clock on a Sunday morning, they're here, they're serving. And they're not serving so that we can applaud them tonight. They're serving because they have a friend. And we have his interest at heart. So I just want to thank you for serving. You can be seated again. Thank you very much. And if you're not serving, then start serving somewhere. Start to not just go to small group, but start to pray for them. And that's why prayer, your prayer life will show me how much you serving your best friend, Jesus. Because that's where nobody sees. That's where nobody recognizes. That's where nobody tells you, oh, great, you've been praying for five, five hours. So I shared this, this morning the story of going to the east coast of India and arriving there and we thought like, oh, this is great. We, we're going to tell the people what needs to happen, and we're going to disciple them and teach. So we walked into a place, and there's an old lady. She's probably 75, seven, older than 70, and she comes. And after a conversation with her through the interpreters, she gives us a piece of paper with 14 names on. I realized, like, those are the names of all the team members. Because she's been praying for months. No internet. No Facebook stalking. No like, oh, let's. And in the spirit, in her prayer life, God gave her all the names of the team. And I realized like, whoo. That night we slept in this little place. We just went straight to bed. The next morning when we woke up, all these older ladies, everyone was sleeping on a floor like this while we were sleeping in the beds. They were all serving behind the scenes. I thought, like, sure, Lord, the church is alive. Well done, good and faithful servant. So when you study tomorrow, are you just doing it to get a degree, or are you serving your, your best friend, Jesus? Say, Lord, I want you to create a platform so that I can worship you, so that I can serve your people. That's the greatest. Jesus says to serve is the greatest. But it's not because we must or because it's a set of rules or because, hey, I'm going to get to heaven and get, get some pineapple drinks with Jesus and with Michael the archangel. No. Because I'm serving because it's a response to 
what he's done for me. He came to serve me with his life. Friendship with God. That's why Jesus says, if you love me, do as I say. But not because it's obligation, but because it's a response. Now, many of you grew up in homes where your parents said, hey, if you do this, then I'm going to do that. If you do this, then sort of like a bit of manipulation. God never manipulates. God gives you the choice. God never says like, oh, if you do this, then I'm. God just says, here's my best. My son, Jesus, you have to choose. God is not into manipulation. And yet in the church. We find so many people that try to manipulate God. God, if you don't do this, then I'm not going to do this. God, if you give me a breakthrough, then, Lord, shaken up, pressed together, running over. The Lord says, I'm not interested in manipulation because I want your heart. I want you to do it from your heart. Sure, it's getting very quiet. The third thing is a deep trust and surrender. You can just jot that down, Romans 8.35. We're not going to read that. Read it at home. The fourth thing is a repentant heart. What is repentance? Re- repentance is a change of mind, of perception, of action, and of direction. Repentance starts always at a revelation of who God is. Not what you have done wrong. Sin, even the definition of sin is to miss the bullseye, to miss the mark, to miss the fullness of God in your life. That is the definition of sin. And so, if you have a repentance like David, you realize like, wow, Lord, Psalm 51, against you and you alone have I sinned, Lord. Don't take your presence away from me because that's, my substance, that's my life. I want to surrender to you. <laughs> so repentance is always a change of your mind and revelation of who God is. That's always where it starts. And that's why God says, I love David because David had such a repentant heart. And God says, the church, what is going to restore in the book of Acts? He promised the church will be a worshiping church. It will be the tabernacle of David that God will restore in the last days before Jesus comes back. Not the tabernacle or the temple of Solomon. Solomon had this amazing buildings and the gold, and he was the richest guy, and it was all of what was happening on the outside. But David had a heart after God because he wanted to respond. It was just a natural response. Some of you have heard this story, but when my wife and I just fell in love for the first time, you do crazy things when you fall in love. How many, I'm not going to ask you to come and share, but how many of you have done something crazy when you were in love, you know? He's just like, come on, come on, yeah? But I remember we drank tea. She was um, in harmony. And um, so, so, so we're going we're gonna to make tea. And so, so we drank tea, but later on in the conversation, we realized that we never boiled the water. But it was the best tea ever. We forgot to boil the water. And we were drinking, and I thought, like, something is wrong with this tea, you know. But now, so we're drinking tea, we're staring each other in the eyes, talking for hours, just like, whoa, 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 whale talking. You out there. Just the sound of your voice. This is so beautiful to me. 
Have you realized when people fall in love, they just talk like slower and it's just like, you see these two people talking, think like, what are you saying? You could have spoken Chinese to each other, Mandarin, you know, just make a bit of sense, but it's just like to hear your voice, you know, it's just like, I actually even tried to bake a cake for her. It flopped tremendously because I opened the oven before the cake was finished and it fell flat like this, okay? But hallelujah, praise the Lord. I always wanted to be engineer, so I built up that cake with icing. <laughs> it was flat. I probably used five times the icing that you could use, you know? And I said, I'll take half home. You can take the other half. So I gave her the half that was ready, and I took this big junk of icing with, you know? But it's amazing what you do. Why? Because you're connected, you know? You, you feel like you're the only one in love. You feel like you're the first one ever in love. It's almost like when you're going to get kids one day, when you walk through that hospital doors there, George is going to have a, a Nareen at the back. Wave at us, Nareen. Nareen, this week. We trust it's this week, okay? But so, so they have these double doors at the hospital. Have you seen that? You know? It's almost like the doors there. It just, but they, they don't, you don't, go like this. You just walk through them. It's because of the dads and the moms that have that kids that come out of that hospital. It's like the, it's like the first people ever that has got kids in the whole wide world. And the dad's shoulders is so broad. He just walks through there as just as if he, as if he <laughs> brought this kid into the world, you know? His shoulders is twice the size. Watch, George. I'll take a picture next week, you know? You want to say to the dad, dad, you just stood there. <laughs> it's, it's the ladies, you know. Praise God, men has got very low pain thresholds, you know. But, but that dad walks out. It's always the dad that carries the kid. You must check it. It's never the mom. The, the mom is like, she's like five, 50 meters behind, you know. He forgets about her, but he comes like there and he's checking out. Because when he walks out of that hospital, it's like the paparazzi is going to be there. Check it. I brought this thing into being. <laughs> and you think like, no. <laughs> I wanted to say something, but hallelujah. But so, <laughs> this, we, we had this funny story here in Somerset West that happened. Is the, the, the dad and the mom, the mom was going to hospital, so she's ready. And, and so the water breaks, and so now they must rush to the hospital. And so the dad comes in Somerset Medic Clinic, he runs in, he says, my, my wife is in labor, my wife is in labor, you know. And so the medics run out because they th think she's in the car. No, he forgot her at home. Really. <laughs> so his wife is standing on the stoop at home, he's running into the hospital as if it's, uh, so where's the baby? You need a wife for the baby, you know. But it's amazing how we respond in moments like that, you know. Now I'm completely off topic, but hallelujah, thank you. Okay, so, you see, when, when God talks to us about sonship and about a repentant heart, it's not about perfection, but it's about a response. It's about a surrender. And so many people are afraid to, just open up and be vulnerable to God because of hurt, because of pain, because of negative past things, or because people said bad stuff over you. And then God says, I love you with an everlasting love. And so once you come to that 
place of understanding that repentance is so amazing. It's so free. It's, it brings a surrender in your life. It brings a place because it's to who you surrender. It's not about all the bad baggage. It's not about all the stuff. It's not about being perfect before him because you have to make a peace with it. You're never going to be perfect except the day when he returns. And so the true love of God begins to manifest in such a way that we know true sonship. We know who we are in Christ. The world is going crazy with a lot of things and a lot of issues and a lot of fear, 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 fear. But God says, uh-uh. Listen to this again, yeah. John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. The moment when you say yes to being a Christian, there's another spirit in the world. It's called the Antichrist spirit. And there's another being that will oppose you receiving the love of God, he's called the accuser of the brethren. And he, he accuses the believers day and night before the throne room of God. Why does he accuse you? Because he never wants you to walk in the fullness of God. He will be satisfied with even you going to heaven, but the, mo to heaven, but the moment when you say yes to his call on your life, the moment when you say, Lord, I want to position myself to receive what Jesus really died for. There's an accuser. Never partner with the accuser. And this is just a golden rule. If you're new in the faith, if you're a new Christian here, next term we're going to start with the discipleship school. Six weeks. If you don't know how to read the Bible, you don't know how to hear the voice of God, then you must sign up for the discipleship school. Just very basic, ordinary stuff, because a lot of people don't know how to do that. How do I hear the voice of God? How do I read Scripture? Should I start in Revelations or Lamentations? No, stay away from the nations and go to the nations. No. Start with Mark, Matthew. Start, start just discovering who Jesus is. So a lot of people don't even know the basics of the faith. And that's why we're going to do that. Encounter one, we have a lot of places where you can be trained. But you know what begins to happen in your life? The moment when you say yes to Jesus, the devil comes to tell you, Chris, you are so bad. And the reason why he accuses you or the fruit of accusation is always isolation. So you will maybe str struggle with rejection issues or the fear of failure. You'll come into a conversation or you'll go to a small group and then suddenly you'll, you'll get these thoughts. These people actually don't like me. I'm not good enough for them. The moment when you have the pointing of the finger... You have to take authority over that. You have to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Because a lot of Christians don't know that the devil can plant thoughts in your head. Second Corinthians 10 verse 1 to 5 says, You must take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus. The fiery darts of the enemy, you must stop with the shield of faith. What are the fiery darts of the enemy? Thoughts, accusations. Oh, you're never good enough. You're never going to make it. You, you shouldn't be part of that church. You shouldn't be part of those people. They don't actually like you. And oh, you are condemned because look at what you did. Oh, yes, last week, PD, PD, those thoughts. Oh, shame on you. Shame, 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 shame. Shame on you. And you think like, 
Why do I think stuff like this? You didn't think it. The devil planted it there. The worst in your life begins to happen. Then once you begin to believe the accuser, when he accuses you, you get isolated from fellowship and other believers, and then you begin to accuse. It's called offense. You begin to point the finger at God and at others. And the Bible says, then you've been taken captive by the devil to do his work in your life. So then the devil goes and says, oh, do you know what? Party time. <laughs> she believes every lie I've told. <laughs> and she's so isolated. Bring the pineapple drinks. I'm not even going to accuse anymore because she's accusing herself. She's accusing a lot of other people. She's really believing the lie. Come on. <sighs> so the devil has a great afternoon nap. And people say, oh, the devil. Yeah, the devil. And the devil says, no, I didn't do it. You did it. The accuser of the brethren. There's a lot of you. God is going to deliver you from the accuser. And from accusing other people. Because you can see that you don't have proper relationship with people around you. And that's why it's good to have church where you just come in and go out. But you can never commit to relationships. Why? Because there's always accusation. What do they think about me? And look what I did. And look what he did. And then slander and gossip and jealousy just manifest in your life. Why? Because there's no trust. And then the devil lies to you. And God says, come. Come. I want to show you my love. Come. But that love covers a multitude of sins. That love has got no strings attached. That love brings you in such a freedom that you also begin to love others. Say, oh, yeah, 70 times 7. It's so easy because he's forgiven me so much. See, then you come into your true identity. Because there's a father and there's a father of lies. Verse 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you a little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You will live also. And that day you will know. Just go check the word know in this scripture. You will know that I'm in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And you has my commandments and keeps them. It is you who loves me, and you who loves me will be loved my, by my Father. And I will love him and make myself known to her. Manifest myself to her. But it's in the condition of a love environment, secure environment, trust environment. And that's why the church is the only answer for the trouble in the world. It's the only people that can love. It's the only people that don't lust but love. Because lust is what I can get. And that's why once you surrender to God, you begin to discover the true identity. You begin to say, wow. But there's a battle. And that battle is for your thoughts. Romans 12, verse 1 to 2 says, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you can test what is the good and perfect and pleasant will of God for your life. There's a test. It's the good, pleasant, perfect will of God for your life.
That's why you need to renew your mind. That's why church is so important. That's why you surround yourself with other believers that think biblically and speak biblically. If you are going to be in a council where it's just a lot of people that speak worldly things, what begins to happen? You align yourself with worldly thoughts and accusations, and you align yourself with lies. And then all the leaves blow over your life, and you are completely gone somewhere. Two sons and daughters of God. That's what happens. Because they begin to speak in boldness. They begin to stand up and begin to say, Hey, there is a God and He lives and I know Him. But I reject the father of lies. And it's a daily thing. Daily you have to reject the accuser of the brethren in your life. That's why you have a mediator with the new covenant. His name is Jesus. He steps on the scene. He's called the advocate with the father. He says, No, that's not what I died for. No. Look, look at what he's listening to. No, stop. The last one, freedom from fear in 1 John 4, verse 17 to 18. I'm going to just read verse 18. It says, once we know who we are, that we're loved by God, that he sent Jesus to die for us, that he manifests himself, that who's born of God knows God, just that word knowing, that intimately knowing God. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Oh, we love him because he first loved us. We only give back to God what he has given us. You cannot love God with your own love. You love God with his love. Lord, I love you because you love me so much. It's a response. The opposite of fear is not faith. The opposite of fear in the Christian's life is God's perfect love. Because his perfect love cast out fear. So, his perfect love cast out every fear. Let's read this verse 18 together. There is no fear in love. Are we together? Come on. Read. This is scripture, people. This is life. Come on. Let's read it again. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves storming. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Sure. Thank you for the fifth yawn on this side. I bless you. Isn't it amazing that you can walk free from fear? Huh? You can walk completely free from fear, fear. That's why it starts right here. The biggest battle for you as a Christian is right here. What do you think when you think about God? What do you think when you think who He is? And I mentioned it this morning, but you know, we always talk about the talents. But the story of the talents is actually about what you think and what your perception is of God. So this guy with the one talent, he hid the talent in the ground. And he said, because I perceive you, this master, as a man who reaps where you have not sown. And because of that, I've hidden my talent in the ground. I'm so afraid of this master because, you know, he's going to ask stuff of me that I can't give to him. So I'm going to take the talent. I'm going to hit it. I'm going to take no risk. I'm going to take no faith. I'm going to know. I'm just going to hit it. And when he comes back, I'm going to give his talent back to him. And scripture says, because of your perception, 
you could never have the abundance of life. Don't be afraid. I'm with you, Jesus said. The context of God speaking most of these scriptures in the Bible, did you know that? Wasn't easy. Jesus has just been crucified. Now he's going to resurrect. And now he tells them, go back to Jerusalem. And there you're going to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus, um, I've got a bit of a problem. Did you know what they chased? us out of Jerusalem, and that's where you got crucified. So how can you tell us to go back to the place of our greatest fear? That's the place we ran from. Rather, Jesus tell us to go to Nazareth. Galilee. It's just such a nicer word. Jerusalem is such a long word. Jerusalem. Galilee. We are free in Galilee, you know. Jesus says, go. Go to the upper room and wait for my promise. He told 500, only 120 went. The others were too afraid. The others just disappeared. 380 did, disappeared. The Bible doesn't say what happened to them. But 120 waited for the promise. That promise we read, I'm going to send you a helper. You're not going to be an orphan anymore. I'm going to set you free. It wasn't a promise for breakthrough. It wasn't a promise for, oh, this great, you're going to be this great Christian, this great preacher, and then you know what's going to happen? You're going to write five books. You're going to raise 10 people from the dead. Oh, my anointed person. Ooh, like a, like a. Yannis. Don't worry. He comes from the free state. Sort him out later. So Jesus sends them back to their greatest fear. He says, that's where I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. That's where you're going to be comforted. That's where you're going to have life. That's where you're going to overcome fear. Sure. It's not the modern day gospel. The modern day gospel is say, Jesus, I'm over here. You're over there. And when I pray, you must do it my way. You must actually do a song. Do it my way when I pray, you know. True, it's rhyming yet this evening. Can you see? It's like amazing, eh? Things are happening. It's creativity. But so, so we manipulate God to tell God to remove our fears so that we can have His promises. And God says, in the middle of your fear, my perfect love will cast it out. In the middle of your greatest obstacle, I want to show you that I'm God. I want to show you that I'm your perfect father. I want to show you that I'm going to deliver you. And there's a church that's rising up. There's a church that's saying, yes, Lord, don't deliver us from our circumstances. Deliver us from evil. Don't give us greater breakthrough. Start here. Let us be a worshiping generation. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.